0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, non-diet registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, peanut butter and jelly enthusiast, and this is episode 167 of the podcast. In this episode, we are going to be talking with our very special guest, Dana Monsees. More to come on her and what we're going to be talking about in this episode here in a few minutes. But first we have to feature our Yours Truly Goalslayer featured post of the week. It's been a minute since I've shared what's going on in our free private Facebook community, so we're going to get back into that today. So this post comes from a new member of the community. I know that because under their name and their profile pic, there's a little hand-waving emoji, which usually means someone is new here, but they write, I forget what this is called, but today I did the thing where you allow food back into your house that you normally wouldn't. I got a big bag of flavor blasted goldfish and a package of Chips Ahoy Reese's cookies today with my groceries. I'm one week into this journey and I still find myself secretly hoping that intuitive eating will help me lose weight, but I'm trying hard to get out of that mindset. I want to give a thank you and a shout out to this member of our community who unknowingly wrote a post about the process of food habituation and what we have to do to make peace with foods that we've often felt are off limits or we've labeled them as bad. They write in the beginning of this post, I forget what this thing is called, but i did the thing today where you bring food back into your house and again without knowing it they have written about the process of food habituation which if you are new to the show this might be a new phrase it's kind of a mouthful when you say it altogether. but if you've been here for a while you know that this is a topic that comes up pretty frequently on the show in anyone's conversations who's talking about intuitive eating in fact as i'm saying this i have not only done episodes specifically on this topic if you scroll back in the podcast feed but more recently The last episode of the podcast that I released called Not Drinking Tonight with Amanda White, we even talk a little bit about this process of food habituation in that episode and how it differs from alcohol or what happens when we continue to drink more and how even though this process happens with food, right? the more we keep foods around, the more at ease we feel around them, the less control we have over them, how the opposite tends to happen. Happen over time when it comes to alcohol and other substances. So I won't get too far into that now, but if you are interested in learning more about this topic and how it's different in the context of alcohol or again, other substances, be sure to check out that episode from two weeks ago with Amanda White. But back to the food piece here, if you're new here, again, this might be a new phrase, but when we are talking about food habituation, we are really just referring to the fact that when we expose ourselves to those once off limits or those once bad foods can you hear my air quotes i'm using there but when we expose ourselves to these foods more and we increase the level of permission we have around these foods the less out of control we feel around those foods in the long run because when we are dieting when we are restricting these foods There's a high level of a novelty around them, right? We don't get them that often when we do eat them or when we're breaking that dieting rule. It's often followed with this idea that we have to get in all the food now because we're cutting it out come Monday or come tomorrow. So there's not true permission around these foods in a dieting context, which often leads us to having experiences with these foods where we do feel out of control, where we feel disconnected from our body's cues. And oftentimes these strong feelings feed into this narrative that we cannot be trusted around the food, or I knew if I brought this in, I was going to eat it all. So I can't do this again. No more flavor blasted goldfish in the house starting tomorrow, right? This is happening because we do not have permission around the food, but when we are working towards this process of food habituation and we're keeping these things on hand we are stocking our pantries with them and i want to note here there is privilege in saying keep these foods on hand stock your pantry with these foods i i do recognize that but with increased permission comes increased relaxation around the food we feel more at ease and we are no longer having those moments over time where we feel so out of control so i wanted to touch on this specifically because this poster wrote i don't know what this is called but i'm doing this thing that i know is talked about in intuitive eating and this is the process of food habituation so if you are someone who has foods that are off limits you've labeled them as bad and you still feel uneasy around them and you want to start working on that and feeling better one of the ways to go about that is to select one of those foods you don't have to do it all at once you don't have to go from zero to a 100 especially if that sounds terrifying if that is financially inaccessible to have all of these foods in the house at once but you can start with one thing this poster is starting with two it really depends on you what you have access to, how quickly you want to move here, and your level of comfort. But if we can keep one of these things on hand and just start to notice over time that with increased permission, our behavior around that food and our mindset around that food can begin to shift a lot over time. So I hope you all found this conversation brief chat about food habituation to be helpful again thank you to this poster in our community who shared this with us all now if you are listening to me talk i'm referencing this facebook community and you're not already there and you would like to come and join us and see what this is about, the best place to do that is on my website. So you can visit clairetuning.com community. That page will take you to a brief application, fill that out, hit the submit button. And then my team and I will be back to you as soon as we get a chance to look over that application. And we will accept you into this community that is free and open for anyone who is interested in intuitive eating maybe food habituation or wanting to feel better around food in general it's open for you we would love to have you come and join us That said, on today's episode of the podcast, we're going to pivot here to talk about this episode that we have, but I am about to be joined by Dana Monsees, who I have had the pleasure of knowing on social media for a while now. Dana and I have been joking that we have been DMing back and forth for probably a few years now being like, we should meet up or we want to have each other on our podcast, but we now... Two years later, finally got around to doing just that. So we've been social media friends for a while, but we actually got the chance to meet up in person not too long ago when I was visiting the DC area. So I am very lucky and grateful to call Dana a colleague and a social media friend, but an also a IRL friend as well. So a little bit about Dana, she is a registered dietitian and certified nutrition specialist practicing from a non-diet health at every size lens, helping clients heal from gut and adrenal issues. She believes that true health and healing are so much deeper than just food and exercise. She works with women dealing with gut issues, adrenal fatigue, and burnout who want to heal from the root cause using an approach that combines the principles of functional medicine, integrative health, and non-diet neutral nutrition. In this conversation that you are about to hear, Dana and I talk about some of the common causes of gut-related issues and how those with IBS and IBD and other chronic digestive issues can utilize the intuitive eating framework, and she also ends our conversation by sharing a few tips for anyone who is experiencing a chronic GI issue but wants to explore intuitive eating and doesn't quite know where or how to get started. So without further ado, let's go talk with Dana. Hey, Dana, welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. You know, it's just been
1: so long since I've seen you. I say it sarcastically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's so nice to hang out again. I feel like we've hung out now three times
0: in the past month. We have. Now for our listeners, they're probably like, what the, what the heck are these two talking about? So Dana and I recorded for your podcast, maybe about a month ago at this point. I don't know if that episode Mm -hmm. will be out by the time this one comes out. So we have that. And then I actually saw you in person less than a week ago from when we are recording this, I was in DC, you met me for coffee. It was a great time. And then Here we are. We just can't get enough of each other. (laughs) We're
1: just best friends now
0: (laughs) after never meeting before. (laughs) I know. It's like zero to 100. All gas, no breaks in this last month. (laughs) But actually, I'm looking at my this or that questions that I have planned for you, and I don't think that I asked you any of these when we met up. Well, I think I do believe I know the answer to one of them, but I will not reveal which one it is. But we're just going to dive right in. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, first one, pizza or tacos? Tacos. That was a period. Very- I had tacos last night. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like the recency effect taking place, or do you
1: genuinely prefer tacos? Probably. Um. Well. Okay. So I have celiac, so it's really hard for me to find good pizza. Uh huh. But I think I do generally prefer tacos anyway because. I think, you know, they have more flavor. I had birria tacos last night, which are basically slow roasted beef. And then they have this like consomme broth sauce on the side and you like dip it in there. So good. Hands down. Amazing. So that's where my brain's at right now.
0: (laughs) That sounds delicious. I, I know I planned this question for you, but I'm feeling quite cruel because I'm like, I can't decide which one I would prefer. I guess if I had to pick one, I would pick tacos don't get me wrong. There can be a time and a place for pizza, but I feel like there's a little bit more variability in tacos with like the different things mm-hmm. and the different toppings. Not that pizza doesn't have toppings, but I don't know. Tacos are also calling my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question. Spring or fall when it comes to seasons?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with fall because so I went to school in Vermont. Seasons up there take the cake when there are seasons. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> there aren't, but like just, I love the leaves and I, I love seasons in general. Like you wouldn't know that because I live in Maryland and we don't always have seasons here. They kind of all blend together, but um, I just, I love the transitional seasons, right? I do love spring and I love, you know, autumn, but I love autumn more because it means Christmas is coming. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fall person too, mostly because of the leaves and there's something about, the crisp
0: days and the beautiful scenery and holding like Mm -hmm. some sort of warm apple flavored drink. I'm a big fan. Okay. Next one, books or TV? hundred percent books. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the
1: one that you need the answer to. (laughs) Okay.
0: Maybe, but the next one, I think I also know the answer to. So books, fiction, nonfiction. I know I asked you this, but tell our listeners,
1: Almost always fiction. I'm an escapism person for fiction. I will read nonfiction if it's for work, but I don't enjoy reading nonfiction for pleasure.
0: Okay. I'm the same way as I told you. And I think I told you when we met up, I was telling you about Colleen Hoover, one of my favorite authors. I almost said artists. I guess it is art in a, in a way art with words, but authors, (laughs) Uh, I forgot that when I was telling you about her, I actually had her most recent book in my bag. I don't know. Whenever I I saw it on your story. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever I go places, I keep my book in my bag in case I ever just want to park it on a bench and read, which is exactly what I did in DC. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. Final two cats or dogs, dogs.
1: There's no question.
0: That's the one that I think I knew the answer to because (laughs) I know you have a dog. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the very last one, are you more of an East Coast person or a West Coast person? Like if you had your pick of where to live, where would you choose?
1: Um, so I've grown up on the East Coast my whole life. Um, But I have been told that I don't belong here. So I might be more of a West Coast person, but I've never lived there. So I can't really say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a hard question. If you've never lived in both places, I feel like it's kind of unfair when you've only lived in one, but (laughs) I'm definitely East Coast. I I like to visit the West Coast and the weather, Mm -hmm. depending on where you go is beautiful and great scenery. But I think I prefer to live here, but it's also heavily influenced by where loved ones and family are, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All my people are on the East coast. So yeah, I'm with you there. Thank you for playing our game. This is a fun way that I like to open podcasts to get to know you in a way that's a little bit more fun than tell me about yourself, but I am now (laughs) going to ask you that question. So for our listeners who don't know you or who are not familiar with your content, can you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and also what led you? to the work that you do now
1: yeah so my name's Dana hello um I'm a dietitian nutritionist and body image coach I live and practice in Maryland um entirely virtual and I take kind of a blend of functional medicine integrative health and then non-diet nutrition so I work on relationship with food of people and body image, but then I also bring in the clinical aspect. Most of the people that I work with and my audience in general either have GI issues, some kind of thyroid condition, uh, or burnout, which uh, I think pretty much everyone can fall into one of those three categories, you know, most of the time in the times that we're living in. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of what I do. And I have been doing that for that specifically niche for about three four years at this point um and what led me to here (laughs) how far do we want to go um so (laughs) i actually grew up in the dc area right and i thought for the longest time that i wanted to go into politics i did that was my undergrad that was what i did in high school in terms of like internships and studying and everything and i really loved it and then when I was, I worked on a few campaigns and then went into consulting and hated every second of it. So I had a like quarter life crisis and went back to grad school for nutrition and that led me to kind of the nutrition world. Also having been recently diagnosed with celiac, I had fallen into the like food as medicine and food and healing world and I wanted to at the time, make sure that other people learned how to heal with food so they wouldn't have to go through the same crazy journey that I did, um, which was very messy. And not only celiac, um, I was also a swimmer and had a whole lot of health conditions when I was swimming that really impacted my performance. Um, And I also had a significant eating disorder at the time, didn't know it until afterwards. Um, But it was the combination of all of those things that eventually led me to where I am now. I mean, when I was in grad school, I was really deep, heavy into the like elimination diets will fix you kind of vibe and then started to realize the more people that I worked with, the more that I was seeing that the stress that those elimination diets cause and the basically royal mess up of the relationship with food and body image stuff that causes people to seek out these elimination protocols in the first place in addition to the clinical symptoms that they have can cause so much stress that it actually makes their symptoms worse and their relationship with food is in the gutter. So that's what led me to make the shift from the like elimination diet focused piece to more of the intuitive non-diet piece. And it took a while to figure out how to do that and also how to do the clinical piece at the same time because that's really not taught in the non-diet space the same or a similar way that how to work on your relationship with food or how to assess people's relationship with food is really not part of the nutrition and dietetics programs that are Mm -hmm. out there. Hopefully that'll be changing. Um, But yeah, so it took me a while to kind of find where I really, really love to be in the space that i'm in now and it took me a while to find that place and where i really vibe with clients and like the niche that i found but i'm here to stay and i love it and that's how we got here <laughs>
0: <laughs> to sum it all up we are here now and yeah <laughs> i don't know i think i can speak i can only speak for myself but hopefully i speak for the audience and the non-diet community as a whole when i say we are so glad that you're here. And, you know, it's so funny. I don't know if funny is the right word, but whenever I run across a fellow dietitian or a practitioner in the non-diet space, I feel like I often assume that they've always been here, that they've always had this viewpoint, that they've always helped individuals in their relationship with food. But I think any dietitian who is listening or any person who's you know, seeing dietitians knows that that's not the case because the schooling that we receive is very weight centric. It is very, you know, sometimes can be the elimination diet protocol or the quote unquote is medicine. And it doesn't really allow space for the nuance of like, yeah, we can understand these medical conditions, but how do we navigate them in a way that isn't going to harm someone's relationship with food or their mental health? through our teaching. So, um, did you find, we kind of talked about this when we met in person, but we were not on the mic then. Did you find that your transition from more of the, the diety or the elimination space to the non-diet space? Was that a hard transition for you personally and professionally, or was it something that, yeah, it was challenging, but it also felt right. And like something was clicking, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, uh, personally, no. Professionally, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I used to be um, a Whole30 coach, right? So I was very involved in that community. (laughs) (laughs) Made like a major unintentional break from them. Um, So I, this is 2018, 2019, um, I announced on my podcast to, at the time, my very small audience, because I had been creating content with Whole30 stuff for a while you know and for the year previous to that I had started to realize like oh my gosh people are really using this in a very disordered way so I had started to talk about it on my podcast I had taken over the whole 30 um you know recipes Instagram which is something that they do every week and started to talk about this and they were like yeah we agree you know the people up top at the program they're like yes we agree people are not using this in a very healthy way and whatever But so i went on my podcast to say like these are the patterns that i've been seeing and the people that i've been working with right and for a lot of people because i heard from a lot of people that this was the case that doing not only that program but these types of programs really does not help people's relationship with food at all and can create some very disordered patterns in people, whether it's disordered eating outright or it's just fear foods, which can lead to an exacerbation of symptoms. It doesn't actually fix your body image and it does not fix your relationship with food like they promised to. So I got a lot of backlash um i was telling you when we met up i lost about ten thousand instagram followers at the time or not like over probably the next um which honestly doesn't really matter to me because at this point i was like well those aren't my people anyway but it was definitely hard at the time right i got i mean basically like slandered on instagram by a lot of these people from that program and you know it was a really weird period because i wasn't firmly in the non-diet space yet and I also wasn't in the elimination diet space anymore and business-wise it was like how do I make this transition and continue to run my business at the same time you know because over the past year you know like behind the scenes and this is you know really all of 2018 I had started to transition with my clients anyways because these were the problems that they were having right so I was helping them with their symptoms and I was working on the mental emotional piece of helping them with their relationship with food and body image and stuff but I didn't quite know how to like market for that yet or how to ask for those types of clients right so it did take me a while to kind of get there um and yeah i mean my income definitely tanked for a while thankfully that wasn't during 2020 because we all had problems during that time anyway um this is in 2019 but yeah it definitely took a dip for a while and then I like did some read a lot of Brene Brown. I did a lot of like soul searching. I was like, what do I really want to do? Because I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to say that that's what I wanted to do um, or how to really find this niche. Because again, I was running into, okay, I want to help people with burnout. Right. I had specialized in adrenal fatigue for a while and like cortisol issues and stuff and gut issues for a while. But the only way that I had been taught to work with that was from a very elimination diet focus like working with SIBO, working with FODMAP, specific carbohydrate diet, GAPS diet, you know, all all of these diets that they basically will hand out like medications when you're coming from a more functional perspective to help people heal gut issues. And it's always elimination focused, right? But then how do you do that if you come or someone comes to you who has so much stress around the foods that they've been told to eliminate that their symptoms aren't good anymore. You know, they're having all these symptoms. They have all these bacterial imbalances. They might have SIBO. They might have a parasite, but they can't cut out any more foods because they don't have any more foods to cut out. You know, at that point, it's not about the food. It's about the other internal stuff that's going on. So that was kind of cool because it was an opportunity for me to learn how to get deeper on the clinical side like on the lab testing side and everything rather than just the kind of classic gut health stuff that you learn in school which is like oh just you know do this kind of food elimination stuff and throw a bunch of supplements at them which to be honest is the way that a lot of functional medicine doctors go as well and I get a lot of people that come to me who have tried so many different of these protocols and they're still not better. And it's not that the protocols on their own don't work. It's that these other practitioners are not taking into account the burnout piece, the stress piece that can come from such a negative body image and relationship with food. That is one of the contributing factors to these people not getting better.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like health problems. They don't exist in a vacuum, right? Human beings, we are exposed to a lot of different stressors, be it physical, mental, emotional. So it's usually not just the food, right? When someone is spirit experiencing some kind of um, struggle or, or problem there. But going back just briefly to when you were talking about your transition from being in the elimination diet space now to the non-diet space, our listeners can't see, but you did like a big like eye roll, like, oh, in that <laughs> when I said that. But I mean, I can imagine that being really tough, not only on on you as a person trying to figure out how am I going to do this? And what does this mean for me personally and professionally, but to be someone who has to do that in a public facing way, because you already had a community that kind of looked to you for a certain type of information or for these recipes. And then for you to say, Hey, I'm shifting or I'm changing routes here. I, I can imagine the the backlash and how toxic that must have felt in ways. But we're glad to have you on the on the other side now.
1: And thanks. It's great to be kind of, here. <laughs> yeah, you
0: kind of pointed me in the direction of where I'd love to go with this conversation next, if it's okay with you. You're talking about all of these gut conditions and GI complications that people can experience and how many a times people might walk into a provider's office with some of these concerns and they are hit with an elimination diet protocol or a printout. I've had so many clients be like, my doctor just gave me this handout of a million and a half foods to avoid, but they're my favorites and they are what is accessible to me, so what the heck am I supposed to do? So before we even get into some of those specific conditions, can you just give us a little bit of a rundown of, the types of people you see and some of the general concerns GI wise that you see most often in your clients.
1: Yeah. Get ready. Cause we're going to talk about poop. So <laughs> we love that for us <laughs> when you work with, right. When you work with people with GI conditions, this is what I always say. Cause we'll be going through their intake forms and everything. And they're like, I'm sorry if this is TMI. And I'm like, trust me, it is not. Yes. I talk to people about their poop every single day. It's now a running joke in my family and with all of my friends that Dana does stool testing and they think what that means is I literally examine people's poop. That is not the case. But (laughs) typically when people are coming to me, one of their root issues that's happening is they've got some kind of chronic GI disturbance, right? Whether they've been diagnosed with IBS or not, which by the way, is just a diagnosis diagnosis of exclusion. It's really just your doctor validating that you're having these symptoms, but they have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. So great. You've got a diagnosis and we don't have anything that we can do about it because it doesn't really tell me what's going on at the root cause. So, The most common things that I'll see is like chronic bloating, especially bloating that gets progressively worse throughout the day or bloating that doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason with the foods that you're eating. Um, I'll see a lot of chronic food sensitivities specifically related to gut stuff and usually related to skin stuff as well constipation, diarrhea, heartburn, indigestion, I sound like a Pepto-Bismol commercial, but really all of those things, that's typically what I see. And the interesting thing is there are, and this is one thing that functional medicine does get right, they get a lot of stuff right, but they just do it in a little bit of an all or nothing way is, a lot of chronic disease and a lot of chronic illness does originate in the gut. And usually the cause of that is because we have, you know, similar to a blood brain barrier in the brain, we have a gut blood barrier as well. And so if you have a lot of chronic inflammation, if you have things that are really just assaulting your gut from the outside or the inside, then the tight junctions, which are these little cells in your small intestine that are supposed to be really close together, like if you hold your fingers together really tightly, that's what they're supposed to be like. And if you have all of this other inflammatory stuff that's coming in, whether it's stress, whether it's birth control, whether it's parasites, you know, the list is ages long. Once those tight junctions start to open up, everything that's going on in your gut can now get into your bloodstream. And then we can see issues with the thyroid, we can see issues with hair, we can see issues with skin, every detoxification organ that you have, gallbladder, liver, lungs, everywhere, right? So this is why it's really hard to nail down like what came first, the chicken or the egg with all these different kinds of symptoms, because if it's originating in the gut, the only way that you're going to for example, be able to address the skin symptoms is not to work on that topically only, but to work from the inside out. Like, yes, there are topical things that you can do. There are things nutritionally and supplementally that we can do to support skin health. But if the origin of those skin problems is in the gut, no matter what you do there, I mean, it might help, but it's probably going to come back.
0: Mm -hmm. One question that I have is you're listing out you know, all of these things and how many things can be connected to our gut and gut health. And I wonder if you think or see this too, but I feel like a lot on social media, it's ironic because when we talked on your podcast, we were talking a lot about TikTok and the things that we see and the misinformation, but I feel like gut health, I'm putting that in air quotes here, but it is thrown around really loosely and very liberally as a term by non-health professionals as a way to almost fear monger or even worse sell some sort of sketchy supplement or program that is engineered by someone who doesn't know what they're talking about they're trying to make a quick buck so i'd love to hear from your professional and educated point of view how will someone know? I don't know if this is maybe something they ask their doctor, if this is they've been experiencing certain symptoms for a certain length of time, but how might someone tell if they're actually struggling with something gut related versus am I just falling prey to all of this stuff that's being talked about? And this person is trying to tell me this supplement or sell this to me. Does that make sense? Like, what are some things that people can yeah. look-
1: yeah so this is a really hard question because especially when we look at the stress piece of it sometimes it can be really hard to distinguish is my stress response causing these gut symptoms or is it something that originates in the gut that's causing these symptoms Mm -hmm. the best way i think um to find out what is going on is to go straight to the source right to do some stool testing and see is there something that's actually going on in here because when you do a comprehensive stool test and I'm not talking about the kind of stool test that you just go to your GI doctor for because typically when they're doing a stool test or your PCP or anything they're really only looking for organisms for which you would end up in the hospital giardia salmonella c diff you know yersinia this type of stuff if you don't know what Many of these are they're pretty serious viruses or parasites that if you get them you're probably in the hospital you're probably having basically disaster pants all the time and these can live in your system for like 10 years or probably more so that's a separate conversation but when you get a comprehensive stool test you can then see not only like are we looking for parasites worms yeast viruses we're also looking at the levels of beneficial bacteria opportunistic bacteria and we're looking at your digestive health markers so then we can start to see is it a bacterial imbalance right is it a parasite or something but we can't stop there when we get there it's like okay well how did this even get in here in the first place right so instead of just for example if we have a bacterial overgrowth SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth right we have to figure out how did this get in here in the first place SIBO is a really complicated um, diagnosis because it one is really hard to get diagnosed Two, it comes back so often because the way that it is treated most of the time doesn't pay enough mind to how did we get this in the first place, right? And the really ironic thing here is that even then, you know, I've said go to the root cause, like, right, go to the source. But even then, you can see on stool testing, there are certain markers that will show you is stress causing this like is stress a big contributor to this right so I would say if you're somebody who struggles with burnout or anxiety or anything like that it's more than likely that some of your gut symptoms are being caused by that and the gut brain connection and the whole enteric nervous system and everything that goes on with this I'm a huge nerd for the nervous system and I could go on about this forever but these two, like the gut and the nervous system work very synergistically and the gut brain connection as well. So you can have gut symptoms purely from stress and anxiety. Like everybody knows about like runner's trots, right? Or if you get, you know, really nervous before a kind of presentation at work or something, and you feel like you have butterflies in your stomach, that's your gut brain connection at work, right? So that can be a piece of it. And the other major piece is do we have some kind of imbalance that's going on in the gut that's causing these symptoms as well and it can be either or or it can be both right so most of the time I always say this the answer in nutrition is it depends and so it really depends here
0: (laughs) And everything that you're sharing really reminds me of a something that we talk about often on this podcast I'm sure you do on your show as well but it's the fact that we cannot separate mental health from physical health right and if we are only kind of like you were talking about before if we are only thinking and talking about food and targeting food and we're only thinking about well don't eat this and eat that and we're getting super nitpicky over that but we're not zooming out to look big picture to think is something related to mental health playing a role here we're not addressing that then we're likely Not going to get to the root like you're talking about of these symptoms so one thing that i'd like to do next because earlier when you were talking about your career progression and how you focus on all of these gi conditions through a non-diet intuitive eating health at every size lens it's not often talked about how we bridge intuitive eating with GI conditions, or, you know, I've had so many people come to me saying this intuitive eating thing sounds great, right? They hear the principles <laughs> of make peace with food, AKA offer yourself unconditional permission to eat and have fun and find satisfying food combos and, and flavor combinations. And they'd say, that sounds great. But <laughs> if I eat X, Y, and Z, I feel awful, or I can't find freedom and peace with food because I feel so uncomfortable so often related to the foods that I'm eating. So could you maybe tell us if someone is struggling with something like IBS? I know that's very broad, right? Or even something like IBD. I don't know if you see that at all or any other chronic Mm -hmm. gut related condition. How might those individuals be able to start exploring some things related to intuitive eating or how might they consider navigating that condition in a way where they can still focus on their relationship with food does that make sense
1: yes yeah so first I want to validate that struggle because a lot more people than are talked about fall into this category of like wow intuitive eating sounds great but I don't fit in in the all foods fit category, right? Because of the symptoms that I have, right? And even if they've been working on their relationship with food and they've been working through their food rules and body image and everything like that, if you've done that piece and you're still having these GI symptoms, it's most likely the clinical piece that's going on, right? It's not necessarily here the physical piece. There might still be some of that, but it's more of the, you know, mental emotional piece as related to the gut right because a lot of people there's kind of two main categories of like fear foods that I talk about right so when we're working through our journey with our relationship with food and different food groups and everything with intuitive eating we're first unwinding all of those old external diet rules and shoulds and the morality around food and everything but what not a lot of intuitive eating practitioners are diving into is Well, what about the fear that has been instilled in these people from either doing their own research or other functional medicine practitioners or doing these elimination protocols where they've been led to believe or they do believe because they've seen it in their symptoms that every time I eat potatoes, I bloat to eight months pregnant, basically, right? And that type of bloating is not really a stress response type of bloating, right? That's more of a there's something going on deeper, right? So... When we're working on that kind of stuff, sometimes, and this is unpopular in the intuitive eating world, sometimes you do have to have some food restrictions. For example, if you, I am all in the camp of all food should be given the opportunity to fit, but maybe they might not all fit right now, right? Because for example, if I'm working on ice cream as a fear food with someone, but every time they eat ice cream, they have to run to the bathroom and have diarrhea. That food doesn't fit right now, right? That makes you feel free, yeah. (laughs) No, exactly. And so here's the thing: like, if you're truly listening to your body, and every time that you eat that that food, you have that visceral reaction, your body's not going to tell you we want to eat ice cream, right? But before you're able to get to that point, you do have to unwind the morality around food, right? Get rid of those diet rules. So it's very important that if you are as like if you're a clinician and listening to this you have to do the relationship with food piece first and synergistically while you're doing the clinical work right because if you're just like well we do have to do some you know food eliminations or we have to pull back because my client doesn't tolerate that much of you know dairy or beans are very good examples because for people with IBS or IBD they don't tend to go very well right but at the same time that you're working on that and if you have to do any kind of food exclusion or restriction or elimination, even if we're coming at it from this non-diet approach, we have to do the mental health, emotional health piece on it as well. Otherwise you can't take that food out, right? Because if you, for example, on um, the stool testing that I do, there's a marker called anti gluten IgA. This is an enzyme that's produced in response to gluten if the body is not doing well with gluten. If this number is astronomically high, I have to take that out of that person's diet. But that doesn't mean that we have to do it in an all or nothing way, unless that person is celiac. I have celiac, I get it, right? We have to take that out, right? At the end of the day, as dieticians, we have a do no harm principle, right? But we have to think about what is going to be the stressful impact of having to take that food out. And we have to work through that as well, right? Because we again, we go back to I don't want the stress around any food, whether it's adding that food in or taking that food out to contribute to these symptoms that that person has been having. So it's a very complicated dance in order to kind of do the clinical piece along with the intuitive eating piece, because You never want someone to feel like I can't have this food, right? And at the same time, if you allow them to be dictated by internal signals instead of external, oh, I shouldn't be eating that food or that's a bad food or, you know, morality around food, we have to be able to separate those first before we can even think about taking foods out.
0: It's a delicate dance for sure. And I so, I appreciate how... (laughs) You talk about these things needing to go hand in hand, but especially centering the relationship with food first and untying some of the external rules and the morality around food, how that sets the stage for being able to approach food in a way that's going to help us to feel pleasant physically. Um, I appreciate something you said earlier, too, how you believe 100 percent in the all foods fit type of approach that we preach with intuitive eating. But you phrased it alternatively in that I give all foods the opportunity to fit. That's not gonna mean for all people everywhere, every single food is going to fit seamlessly into their life because you're right. Some people may be lactose intolerant and ice cream every day might not be the best fit for them or even taking someone (laughs) with celiac disease, right? Like yourself there's not going to be a world where you make peace with gluten-containing foods because that causes damage (laughs) to your insides right so just because all foods can fit doesn't mean that's going to be exactly appropriate for everyone but the reason why we exclude certain foods doesn't have to be rooted in i'm doing this because it's bad or because i'm not allowed um something i say a lot about intuitive eating i don't know if you use this wording as well but i say yeah, we wanna have permission to eat all foods with attunement to how we'd like to feel. So if you're constantly getting feedback from your body, I don't feel good with this, this feels awful, and that's something you've experimented and tested over time, then it could be an indication that that food's not for you and that's okay. You know, a couple of exceptions there. I'm thinking about people who might be listening and they're in some sort of eating disorder recovery and a lot of foods are causing them discomfort because they haven't been eating enough, right? If that is you, please check with your provider because you know, not all foods are going to be off limits. We need to eat something there. But, you know, there's a little bit of nuance there as with everything. But I appreciate how you phrase that. And I'm I'm hoping that resonates with some of our listeners. Uh, yeah. Final, final question that I have for you. This is more of a me passing the mic to you to throw in anything else that you feel like we didn't get to. But if we have someone listening who is maybe experiencing some sort of gut condition or food leaving them feeling uncomfortable what are maybe one to two takeaways or specific nuggets of advice that you might offer them just to help meet them where they're at in their journey
1: yeah uh one would be an elimination diet's not going to fix it sis that's <laughs> not it <laughs> especially if you've tried it before because a lot of people will fall into this trap of oh i just didn't find the right one for me Right, So then they'll cycle through these elimination diets and it creates this tornado of food fears, which then revs up our nervous system and our fight or flight response, which is creating even more of a negative kind of gut symptom response. Um, And I would say for anyone who has struggled with their relationship with food for a long time, it is so incredibly common to have gut issues purely because of the stress of your relationship with food. And let's be clear, the stress that you have with your relationship with food and body image, even though it's omnipresent, that is not the only stress you have going on in your life, right? So we're talking about like a fireplace is now turning into a room fire, is now turning into a whole house fire, right? And just that stress response alone and the entire cortisol and hormonal inflammatory cascade that goes with that, is enough to cause clinical symptoms on its own, which can later lead to gut bacterial imbalances, subclinical hypothyroidism or secondary hypothyroidism, adrenal fatigue, burnout, all of these things. Even if we only take relationship with food and body image into account, right? So. If you are feeling this way, you are not alone. It is so incredibly common to see a crossover of all of these symptoms with a relationship with food and body image. If it wasn't common, I wouldn't have a job, right? This would not be my niche. Um, But the other thing I wanted to mention in regard to eating disorders is eating disorder and disordered eating behaviors are a breeding ground for GI issues because of mineral imbalances and malabsorption and of course, you know, the horrible things that happen to the body in response to starvation, bulimia, orthorexia and everything like that. So if you have... Even if you have been treated, you've been an inpatient, outpatient, and everything. If you have had an eating disorder or severe disordered eating in the past, I 100% can guarantee there probably is some gut condition going on there as a result of that past. And I would highly recommend that you work with someone to do some stool testing or do some kind of medical nutrition symptom questionnaire as a workup because eating disorders and disordered eating can cause on their own pretty severe gut imbalances and stuff.
0: I think that sums up everything that we talked about quite nicely. <laughs> Dana, I'm so glad that we could connect for the third time in one month to have you on. This This conversation was admittedly more nutrition-y than when we met for coffee, but I think it's supposed to be that way. And I am so impressed at how much of a wealth of knowledge you are and how you've really been able to work to understand not only the intuitive eating and the relationship with food framework, but also you have this huge clinical knowledge that, I mean, as you're rattling things off on like, yeah, like that and that and that I am just- <laughs> so glad that we could have you on to share some of your knowledge with our listeners. So on that Thank note, you. You, yeah, of course. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you, where you hang out? If they want more information on how to work with you, just plug Anything and everything that you have going on.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. So the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. It's Dana Monsey's underscore CNS. And I'll give Claire the link and everything in case you don't know how to spell my last name. Um, All of my links are there, but you can also go to my website, which is realfoodwithdana.com. Or if you search Dana Monsey's Nutrition, it'll come up. Um, And what else? My podcast, which Claire was on, is called Wholehearted Eating with my business bestie, Christina Hoyt. Um, We both do this kind of clinical approach to, you know, non-diet nutrition and intuitive eating, which we call Wholehearted Eating. So you can find me any of those places. So pretty much if they're listening to this
0: show they're only a type away from your show <laughs> and- yeah i mean google me you'll find me <laughs> yeah and we'll have all of that linked in the show notes it's funny that you mention if people don't know how to spell your last name i believe one of the first questions that i asked you when we connected first on zoom was How do you pronounce your last name for the longest time? Because I've been seeing your name for ages now. I thought your last name was Moses. I was totally missing an N in there. I get that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's Monsies. Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. we'll have all of that linked So people don't have to worry about spelling or any of that. But um, Dana, thank you so much again for being here. And my listeners, thank you for sticking with us in this gut health related episode. But that is all we have for you today. So we are going to go ahead and sign off by saying yours truly, Claire and Dana. And that's a wrap for episode 167 here on the Yours Truly podcast with our special guest, Dana Monsees. Again, I thank you to Dana for being here, for chatting with me, being an IRL friend and an internet and a podcasting friend and all of the things. If you'd like to learn more about Dana, how to work with her, learn more about her content, you can check in the show notes of today's episode for all of her info. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast or anything else that you've heard here on the show, it would mean the world to me. I would be truly grateful if you could take a couple of moments and tap those five stars. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review if you feel so inclined. If you're listening elsewhere, maybe Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere else you consume podcasts you can share this episode with a friend a loved one anyone who could benefit from hearing you can also share this on your social media story be sure to tag me and dana as well so we can say hey and give you a thank you for listening but that is all that i have for you today again thanks for sharing a little bit of your precious time with us here on the yours truly podcast and i will see you back here next time but until then take care